0: Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit Anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today.
1: Jumpstart your genius with
0: Claude 3 by Anthropic.
1: People
0: of the internet, welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. I'm your host, Marquez, and I have a special guest with me today. Cleo Abram is joining me. What's up? And we got, I have so many questions for you. I have a lot to talk about. Here's the intro. I'm just gonna jump right in. Okay. I asked ChatGPT. GPT. Oh no. <laughs> I asked ChatGPT. GPT. Uh, actually, Adam was, he came up with this idea, but we have asked ChatGPT for some questions for you for a podcast and said, give me three questions that I should ask her about AI and her feelings about being a creator. Okay. These are the actual questions that spit out. Okay. Number one, can you highlight a recent AI development that excites you and its potential effects on society? AlphaFold. AlphaFold. Yeah, are you guys familiar you, with this? You might have to yeah. explain this one.
2: AlphaFold, um, prefacing all of this with, I am not a bioengineer. I What I've learned about this is from like other people, smart people telling me. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is uh, there's a... There has been an enormous problem in biomedical science, which is how do we predict from the um, from knowing what amino acids are in a protein, what mm. that protein will actually look like three-dimensionally. And typically what we've done to do that is, I don't really totally understand how X-ray crystallography works. but we the accept.
0: that's totally fine, cool. yeah, <laughs>
2: through experimentation, we spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably millions, on figuring out what proteins look like from their amino acid mm-hmm. combinations. That has been important for us in developing all kinds of medications, um better understanding disease and how to treat disease. Um, it's a really big deal to understand what a protein's going to look like before it actually exists right. um, alpha fold is um is a machine learning system that took the amino acid bases and the three-dimensional proteins that we already know Mm -hmm. and worked out a way to predict three-dimensional structures from amino acid bases way faster than we've ever been able to before. Hmm. And now I believe we have predicted with surprising accuracy the three-dimensional structures of every protein known to science. This is just a Astronomical achievement based on machine learning in the last couple of years. Well, this is huge. like we don't know what medicines exactly will come out of that, but this is like truly enormous in huge. order for our understanding of how
0: huge, this if, works. True, huge I would say. if true, huge if true, exactly. That's pretty. Incre- are you working on a video about this? Is that why you have so much info off the top of your head? Because that's a lot of things I didn't know about.
2: I made a video basically trying to understand. Like, okay, so if so many smart people are saying this is one of the biggest technological achievements humanity has ever accomplished. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of smart people saying, this is a risk to humanity.
1: Mm.
2: Like, how do I square both of those things? Both can be true at the same time, but like, why are why are people fighting about this um, in such extreme ways? And why would someone say, like, this is going to save us and someone else that I trust, this is going to kill us? Yeah. So I went down the rabbit hole of like, okay, what are the people that are very concerned about machine learning actually saying might happen? And what are the people that are super excited about it saying that it can do for us? Right. And alpha of hole is like one of the best examples of like, okay, practically, why do we want this stuff in the first place? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, th- this, this could really change a lot of people's lives. Like, yeah. just imagine the medicine. I'll, I'll, this is speculative, but like, just imagine the number of people that that could help Mm -hmm. is a very compelling case for using machine learning, especially in medicine.
0: Yeah, there is a ton of I I always wonder about this. And we'll dive into all the different types of videos that you make and things like that. But I just know that you make a lot of videos that require a lot of research. And so I I suppose naturally, you learn a a lot about the topic as you're looking into it as you're trying to figure it out. You started off probably as a relative newcomer to the topic, as any expert would say, and then by the end you know all these things about it and you kind of have to square like, how do I explain this to someone who is where I started in this? How do you keep all of that context in mind? Like, How do you decide how to talk to a topic by your audience where you're now an expert in something and you realize most people don't have any of the context, any of the understanding that you've suddenly built up?
2: I never really get to expert level, is the okay. honest truth. Um, and I would never do I mean answering questions about like stuff I've covered is one thing. I would never then go on a on television and and be the expert talking right, about that topic. Right, like I'm nowhere close. Um, but I do get to the point where with the help of expert interviews um, or background interviews, I can then create visuals that explain something important to others. Um, and usually it's some like context that they're missing or something that might help them understand what's going on so that the next time they read a headline, they're like, oh, yeah. I know how this fits into the bigger picture of quantum computing, for example, or something right. like that. Um, I write down the dumb questions that I have right at the beginning. That's a good idea. Um, and then I go back to them at the end. And I'm like, okay, when I when I was dumb about it, when I had less context, yeah. um, what did I most want to know?
0: What were the questions that would have been great to answer in a way that that person would understand? Yeah. Yeah. And some
2: of them are, like, very simple. So, for example, I um, might have the opportunity to uh, make a video about the Large Hadron Collider. I'm Mm. getting really interested in atom smashing and why we do that. Um, And one of my biggest questions, like, just this is before I've, I'm now exposing, like, what it's like before I've done any real deep research on this. Um, I understand that we are smashing atoms together Mm -hmm. at enormous scales. Giant This this machine is massive.
0: Somewhere in Europe.
2: I still don't fundamentally understand how we get the atoms to hit each other correctly.
0: That's totally fair. Like, how
2: do... They're they're going so far. They're atoms. Like, what? How do... I I understand it has to do with magnets somehow, but, like, that's one of my biggest questions. Like, Mm. I I know that we're smashing atoms. Like, how do we make sure that they actually hit each other way over there?
0: Yeah. This is one of the... We were just... Like how do boats work? Like, can we, can we just break, can can we break this down? Like, I think I know, but I don't really know. And maybe we should figure this out together and go down that path. Totally. Yeah, that's totally fair. I, so the question I asked every guest we have on that I'd love to hear your answer for, what is your, your elevator pit, your elevator speech for like, if someone goes, hi, I'm Marquez, what do you, what do you do? Like you have maybe 30 seconds to explain in a way that actually encapsulates, encapsulates everything. How do you do that?
2: I'm still working on this. I would love to have this like, but. um, The way I would say this is, hi, I'm Cleo Abram. I'm Mm -hmm. a video journalist. I make a show called Huge If True, which is a very optimistic show about potential futures we could build with new tech. So every episode is a deep dive into one innovative idea or technology explaining how it works, why the people who are working on it want it so badly, and why it would matter to people like you and me.
0: I feel like it's a, that's a pretty good elevator pitch. I'll just say it's Thank like you. under 30 seconds, concise. The video <laughs> the video <laughs> journalist tag is also one that I think most people would immediately appreciate and sort of understand. Cause I, I kind of have to say like, I could either go along the video maker, YouTuber. I usually don't want to mm-hmm. say YouTuber. So I go like, I, I make videos and they're about technology and their product reviews and they're kind of along those lines. but I guess huge if true is a naturally pretty optimistic like perspective on tech. And I wonder when you're picking your topics, do you have to go with something positive or is there always, or is the possibility of like a negative huge if true, does that exist? A hugely negative if true?
2: Well, I cover lots of important technology that could have terrible impacts. And I don't shy away from that. It's not just like what could, you know, uh, this this is inherently good. It's more choosing the technologies that I think are going to have the biggest impact on people's lives and exploring how we could use them in ways that would improve people's lives, reduce human suffering, continue yeah. what has happened over the last hundred years, which is improving hundreds of millions of people's lives through the use of technology, whether that's vaccines or sanitation or clean energy or it insert one of the many developments of the last hundred years. Um, and and so I I get the opportunity in trying to paint the positive future of exploring mm-hmm. like, okay, where, where would things go wrong if we were trying to get there? Um, and so in our quantum computer episode, for example, there was a section on security and encryption right because right. that's what people are really concerned about and you can't just explain quantum computing by saying like here are the many things it could do you have to explain like no here are the here are the reasons people are concerned about building this tech and building it better mm-hmm. um but my hope is that uh, maybe this is an audacious dream for a YouTube show, but I really do think that if we explain some of the most important technologies that are being developed right now, it gives more people an opportunity to be a part of figuring out how we should use those tools. Um, and if you don't understand what's being built, you can't really be a part of that conversation. So it's more like, here's here's a really important piece of technology that's being created right now. Mm-hmm. Here's why people are, are building it. Because obviously a lot of these are financial incentives, but I also believe that when, you know, people wake up in the morning and go to work, they want to believe that they're working on something that will improve other people's lives. And yeah. there's a reason why people who are working nights and weekends and just extremely hard on these tools are are trying to do that. Like, they have a dream in mind, and I always want to know what that dream is. Yeah. Um, so that then other people can see it and, frankly, like, decide if they agree that that's the future we should have. I I don't necessarily yeah. always, but
0: yeah. I want but people to see that. Do you think you're an optimist generally about a lot of the tech yeah. that you're looking at? Yeah. I feel like the the trying to think of an example. Like most tech has a positive side. Like AI, for example, when you look at things that could possibly change the world that are in the tech realm, AI naturally has a lot of potential downsides that people are always looking at. And that's a part of every conversation about moving the tech forward. So it's just kind of interesting. I wonder if you're picking a video topic, do you think about controversial topics? Like, okay, this one definitely has a lot of downsides, a lot of upsides. You did one about fracking, right? And that one... Obviously, a lot of these are going to have like potential downsides. How do you think about like picking topics and which ones have the most positive, huge if true potential versus which ones don't?
2: Yeah, it has to be the criteria that I look for when I'm making a video are um, there really only two. One is, is this inherently visual? Um, Does it need to be a video or would it be better as a long form piece of writing? And one of those things I make and the other I don't. So a lot of the time there are great topics that just fall by the wayside because they don't need to be explained via video. Um, Hmm. If you and I are having coffee and we're talking about something and there's a moment when I need to pull out a napkin and draw a diagram or I need to pull out my phone and like show you a clip and then not just play it but like pause it and be like, okay, you see how it fell that way? That means that like, but, and then like, that's the moment where you have to see something in order to understand what we're talking about. That's a good video.
0: That's a visual, okay.
2: If it doesn't have that, and it not even just like one good visual, but like a recurring visual that's explaining something complicated,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's probably not worth making a video about because it, these take a really long time. It's just you, you don't need me to make a video. There are many people that are capable of making extraordinary pieces of writing that explain complex technology. Like I don't write long form; I make vid- videos. So it's all it's about really the visual as the like threshold thing. Okay. And then now that I make huge specifically, that show is all about imagining. Potential positive futures with tech. So if it doesn't, it, what is the huge if true element? Like in every, I, I write pitches uh, now with my team, but originally when I was doing this, it was uh, I was pitching myself, and I had this like format of like, what's the key visual? Mm-hmm. Um, what are like the titles which help me pin down the angle of a story, and then um, what is huge if true about this? Right. Like what is the potential massive? What is the thing that is huge if outcome? it is true? Yeah, and if it has potential massive negative downside that is that possible as well, that's good, too. Like, I, I cover lots of controversial tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that it has to be uh, only positive. It's it's not a, it's an optimistic show. It's not a positive
0: I see. show. That's a good distinction, yeah. You obviously have to look at the positive and the negative, but sort of giving credit to both and understanding that there could be a positive impact, and here's what that may look like, if true.
2: And c- encouraging people to be a part of the, Pot of the potential positive outcome like explaining why we would want something and what that would look like
0: you mentioned titles Mm -hmm. Are you a title before the video person?
2: No, I wish I was better about this
0: I it's harder to be I don't know what's better or worse cuz like in tech if I am like reviewing a product for example I cannot come up with a title before I've done all my testing and figuring it out Then I'll get to the answer then I can maybe have a title before I start writing but like I can't start with the title and I feel like it's the same. You're researching. You're figuring things out. You need the title to come later in the process.
2: A lot of the time, my titles are like, I mean, sometimes this is what they end up at, like Quantum Computing Explained yeah. or like Electric Planes Explained. Like a lot of the time, that's what's in my head. And if it comes out differently, it's because over time, we've up, we've like developed more of a thesis about the tech. Mm-hmm. And then we can use that in the actual title and them.
0: OK. And the thumbnail, do you do that? after everything's made is that also
2: yeah <laughs> ba- yes yeah, so. I, w- I want to improve that yeah. as well i think the more the farther we get into the story the better the thumbnail like crystallizes in my head um i do think that one of the things that helps is or I, I hope will help i'm trying to get better about this is figuring out what the key visual for the thumbnail is as well and sometimes those could be the same things like the thumbs that i tend to click on are the ones that have like an arrow like tom scott is amazing at this yeah. it's like he's like it's tom i know tom i like tom i want to watch his videos and mm-hmm. then there's something interesting and then there's an arrow and then there's something and that i'm intrigued may- by what
0: it's pointing at yes. and i need to click to yeah. find tom <laughs> explaining it yes
2: that's what i want to get to
0: yeah. right
2: now uh a lot of the topics that I, I haven't been able to figure that out for every topic but i'm working on it
0: yeah this is uh, so something about me i the explain videos that we make are kind of my favorite videos to make like product reviews we've gotten to a groove and we're really good at those and there's all sorts of other types of things that we're branching out into but it's something about explaining something i just did a 30 minute video about my roof like that i had to explain with graphics and with like data my past year of an experience with a solar roof and that kind of felt like how do i turn a th- a video about a roof, Like, what kind of thumbnail is even appropriate for that? Is it just a a normal? The thing about the roof is it's roof shingles that don't look like solar panels, but they have solar panels in them. Cool. So it just looks like a roof. That's the most boring thumbnail of all time. So I needed to really figure that one out. Um, I guess when you're making these videos, do you have an idea in the production process before you even start what you think will perform better versus not? Kind of like in tech, I know certain devices are gonna perform better, certain things people care about. And then there are certain things that I might care a lot about, but hey, there's only so many people who will watch a keyboard video. Like there are certain (laughs) things that I know won't perform as well. Are you weighing the possible performance of the video also in picking topics?
2: By proxy. So I think the biggest, most important thing is, is this a technology that is gonna matter to a lot of people? Like, mm-hmm. does it have the, the the what is huge if true about this tech? Does it have the potential to impact a lot of people's lives? Generally, uh, those so far have been topics of conversation that are kind of already in the zeitgeist. People might generally know that something is coming. They might be curious about something that hasn't come yet. Like, where are the electric planes? Like, I haven't flown in one. Like, wasn't that promised? There's sort of a a, whether or not something is is actually in the news, it should be an area of curiosity for people. Sometimes I cover things that are not at all or not part of the zeitgeist popularly, that it might be like this sort of niche Niche big deals. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned the fracking episode. That's actually about, the, I mean, the it's using fracking technology to improve geothermal. Mm-hmm. It's this enhanced geothermal, basically. Uh, one of the big problems with geothermal is that you're tapping into these massive underground reservoirs, and those underground reservoirs just aren't everywhere. And so if you can basically use the natural heat of the earth to heat up water to make steam to spin a turbine to generate electricity, that opens up geothermal in a lot more places. Mm. Um, but it it's very controversial because it's using fracking technology to crack rock underground. And that has very real, I mean, this has been studied, like potential seismic effects if you don't do it correctly. Um, and fracking because of the particular liquid that they use in, in uh, natural gas fracking um, has some potential pollution impacts as well. That's... My understanding is that's not so much the case in geothermal because they're using water much much closer to normal water. Mm. Um, so that's not something that, like, people are generally chatting about at dinner. Like, I haven't, you know? Like, that's not... <laughs> not um, in the
0: zeitgeist as much. Not so, so much. Say. Yeah.
2: But it is something that when you explain, like, it 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 pulls enough threads. Like, people have heard of fracking. People have heard of geothermal. People care a lot about clean energy. How can mm. I combine those things that people are already interested in into something that I would want to watch. Yeah. Um, I would love to do more of that, actually. I would love to surprise people more often by what we're covering and show them why something might be important to them that they didn't already care about. Interesting.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of it also, it sort of depends on how often it will come up again in their future. Like, there are obviously big topics that we know are just going to be in the news over and over and over, and AI and, and smartphones and social media and stuff. But then there are things, and they're all sort of evergreen, but that will come up more sparsely, but probably further into the future, like longer, longer lasting topics. And those are interesting too. I'm just thinking of this, I'm basically using this as like a context for like brainstorming tech videos. I'm like, how can I sort of do more evergreen tech videos and explainers that also sort of loop into like the daily conversations people have about tech? Because my brain is in content strategy land and that's what I do. What is it that Um, you
2: like about making explainers?
0: Uh, it's, it's, it's part of the visuals for sure. And I think there's sort of a joy in, um, transferring the, the knowledge that you, you've acquired as effectively as possible. Like there's a little bit of an art to the language of someone asking you a simple question and you have thousands of data points and experiences and information that you could give them and you need to condense it all into something that actually accurately gives them a picture of what you wanted to say and I think the explainers are the, the best version of that for me, where like, I just lived for a year with this really niche product, and there are a bunch of different ways of thinking about how good or bad it is, let me deliver that in a way that you'll actually feel what I feel about it. Yeah, That's, that's the best feeling for me in video. Um, yeah, I, I, wa- feel, I
2: feel that as well. I, I also, yeah. one of the things that I think makes you great at this is I learned this through our quantum computing trip, mm-hmm. You have this focus, really, really carefully on what people are likely to experience in their actual lives, yeah. which sometimes I felt like I can lose sight of. Like sometimes technologies are just interesting to me, but they don't necessarily actually like. I'm focused on on the future that they could build on why they matter to people. Um, but you have this very, I think, through the like empathy that you've developed through product reviews, yeah. you understand that people people need to. There needs to be an impact on people's daily lives. People it's the are busy. strongest People reason to care. To do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and that's something that I've tried to keep in mind since of like, why, why would someone who's just going about their life care about this? Why would it change their day to day? Yeah. Is it five years? Is it 10 years? Like, do they want to talk about it at dinner? Like, is it actually going to show up in their phone?
0: Yeah. And that one, like, do I want to talk about it at dinner? Or like, do I see a headline and do I just kind of like wonder about it, but then move on with my day? That moment I think still does have a lot of pull. Like you can still do totally. a great explainer on something that I just keep seeing this headline. What is, What is a superconductor? Like, I don't even know. I keep seeing this thing pop up in the news and to get that explainer and now to be able to process all the, the further information that comes out about it with much more valid information is, is great. But yeah, for me, it's always just been like, when I do product review, it's almost literally like, should I buy this or not? And I need to answer that question in in, in as many or as few words as I have, I need to answer that question. And so, but that, you know, I can do product reviews all day, but we want to do more interesting, and exciting stuff. So as I do more interesting, and exciting stuff, I still in the back of my head always have this thing of like, is this good or bad for me? Like, do I care about this or not? Do I think this is good or do I think this is bad? That's kind of the boil it all down answer. I, I try to at least give people the, the understanding of yeah. for, for product stuff.
1: Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously, hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts?
0: Support for the show comes from Anthropic. Companies of all sizes are exploring use cases for AI and finding that it's not a one-size-fits-all game. It's all about finding the right balance between speed and intelligence. Like if you're powering a customer chat experience, you need instant speed at low cost. If you're doing complex R&D or advanced analysis, you need frontier intelligence. Claude 3 from Anthropic offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets, Claude 3 Opus is their largest and most powerful model that can handle complex tasks and analysis. Sonnet strikes the balance between information and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and most cost-effective model that can execute lightweight actions fast. Anthropics is dedicated to building AI systems that are reliable, interpretable, and steerable. Their multidisciplinary team of researchers, engineers, policy experts, and business leaders designed Claude to elevate the field of generative AI. See for yourself. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude three by Anthropic. You started, I guess I'd say started, but the earliest that I've seen your work was when you were at Vox and you're doing videos for them and the explainer stuff. And then from the five years there, you went independent and started making your own videos. Any regrets? How has that gone so far? Tell me what, how you feel about that. It's been the best. Okay.
2: It's been so good. Like I didn't, (sighs) One of the best things actually is that all of a sudden everyone on the internet that I have admired for years is like feels like my colleague.
0: Yeah, team internet for sure.
2: Team internet is yeah. a, is really big deal and people mm-hmm. really root for you and people want to be friends and just like the collaboration when you're out in the wild is something that I wasn't is is like one of the best things. And I didn't even know that that was a thing.
0: So you know why I think that is? Why? And this is, I I watched another interview that you did and something you said about um, journalists typically get assigned a story and they don't necessarily have as much personal investment or interest in that story. And I think once you go independent and every single topic is up to you, it feels like everyone is so connected to their work. Where like when I watch Cleo's work, I know that, she picked this and there's an amount of intention and effort that went into this because she cares about this and so everyone when they're interacting with each other's work always knows like ah this is something they actually care about and so i feel like you know a lot of people do great work for media publications and that's all great but the second they go independent you you figure out what they really care about totally and so that's that's sort of something i've noticed with like what people choose to cover
2: i think that's true of me i think i mean huge if true is a product of what I really wanted to watch like what I what I love to to watch and um, understand and I I really I was looking for a show like this a show that would explain complex technology to me in a way that would make me um, understand the people working on it explain what its potential impacts could be and like give me hope for how we could use it in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, I love sci-fi but I grew up watching Star Trek and the sci-fi that I love now is a very different tone um, yeah. in like the the vision that it paints of the future. Um, oh, and <laughs> yeah. you know, it looks like, like there's a there's a real dystopian tone. Not it's not just Black Mirror. It's not just you know a bunch of these sci fi shows that again I love. It's just like the the um, the aggregate tone of what I was watching was incredibly dystopian. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to the specific point about choosing your own stories, like Huge If True is the show that I just desperately wanted to make Mm -hmm. and and part of why I went independent was like I felt pulled to make this show specifically and I wanted to make it exactly how I wanted to make it um I wanted it to exist like I had it in my head and one of the one of the things that's been difficult actually I didn't anticipate the extreme positive of having uh colleagues that were all of these people internet folks that I've admired. One of the uh, downsides that I didn't anticipate, one of the challenges I've I've been working on is when I was at Vox, actually Vox does let all of its video producers pitch their own stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never did a story, um, maybe on some of the, like, the daily show that I made, everybody was pitching. Um, but when I was making Vox videos for uh, our YouTube channel, it was always like I came to my boss with a pitch idea, it looked very much like the pitches that I make for myself now, like there's mm-hmm. a format to these things, um, and then I would go make it. And we, there's an expression, keeping the head and the hands as close together as possible. So um, the person who had the idea, then did all the research, then interviewed the expert, then probably created the actual edit. Um, I uh, am an animator, but I would always have help because my animations weren't beautiful, and then you know we could create the final video and um, publish it. Mm-hmm. That whole process came from ideas that, that every video producer at Box had had. The thing that I forgot is that for every video idea that became a video, I had pitched like seven others. And so someone had been helping me the entire time figure out what would actually make a good video and what was just like an idea that I had in the shower that actually doesn't Uh, deserve to be 20 minutes on YouTube. And like six weeks. Yeah. Um, And that filtering exercise is not only important because only the really good stuff gets made, but also you don't spend time running down all of the the worst stuff. Hmm. And so early on I was spending weeks like doing research for things that did not deserve to be videos.
0: What do you what do you mean by not deserve? Because I feel like every topic will have some merit to it, and you'll find like it's interesting enough to you to make something. So how would you figure out that it's not worth a video?
2: There just has to be enough there there to merit like at least eight minutes of highly produced like animated choreography uh, of like a complex video. Now actually, I make most of those ideas into shorts.
0: That I was going to talk about shorts because yeah. there's also and I like I love that. Yeah, I, there's a, there's a weird. Okay, on YouTube, there is people who do like the same format every video, which can feel comfortable, but also possibly get you stuck a little bit. And you have obviously this tremendous long form format, and then you have the short stuff. And I wonder if like you had a four minute idea, would you try to cut it down? Or would you try to bump it up, like where there's, I I would be like, all right, I'm putting out a four minute video, I need this to, to be where it lives.
2: I would like it to just be, a f- I, I would okay. like every idea to be the length it deserves. When yeah. I came up with Huge and I was uh, thinking about launching it, I wanted it to be a show where I could make a three minute video or a 25 minute video and oh, that yeah. would all yeah. be huge. And, and people would expect you know whatever length and I could have a publishing cadence that supported that, a three minute video is shorter, et cetera. Yeah. Um, turns out that maybe because of the Netflix show which I'd done which is about 20 minutes Vox videos are generally anywhere from five to 15 um, answered was uh, you know five or six um, and glad you asked this was like 20 so those are all of the shows that I had been a part of before I went independent mm-hmm. I just write like Eight to fifteen minute scripts, I know
0: uh, yeah, like I just
2: I <laughs> I just like I don't know why that is. It's just the length that comes out.
0: Yeah.
2: um I'm not sure if that's because I choose ideas that feel like they merit that or because I could work on my
0: well, here's the test. Writing. When you make a short, do you run up against the fifty nine and a half second limit every single time?
2: I'm getting better about it. i'm okay. I'm like coming up with ideas. um and I have an associate producer who's wonderful who's helping me with this. Um some of them only need to be like thirty seconds. Oh, so so I'm, I'm working on, on, again, just like the idea should be the length that it needs to be. Yeah, That's the principle. Like huge if true shouldn't, in my mind, should not have an a, an episode length that we're shooting right. for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really, I encourage my creator friends to not like lock into any one format or length, even though it's really like you, you create this audi- audience expectation and it's sometimes really healthy to do that and it creates them coming back for more. You do want to keep it, mix it up once in a while and like figure out, you know, This is a four-minute video. I'm going to make a four-minute video. Yeah. But I do want to talk about shorts because that's the thing. You've been prolific with shorts. Since we last talked about these, we were doing, um, it was only a couple of months ago, and I was like, all right, you're doing like more shorts and either cutting down video ideas that aren't worth a full video and deciding, okay, this can be a short, or just coming up with ideas that are seems like they're four shorts in the first place. Yeah. What is your top-secret short strategy? Break it down for the whole podcast. We need to know.
2: So shorts are... Awesome. I really, yeah. really like shorts. I um, when I was at Vox, I was making a lot of TikToks, a lot of like explanatory work that just sort of belonged in that vertical short format. Mm. So I really enjoy that creatively. I don't think if I were just making short form content, I would feel creatively fulfilled. Like Agreed, I think for yeah. me, I make a, a show, and for me that means I'm aiming for like topics that feel like they deserve more time than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the balance between like the the creative outlet of shorts and the sort of final product of the long form videos feels really creatively important to me. Um, I love that YouTube now has both. Yeah. So shorts, for me, they are either like um, they, they fall into a couple categories. Shorts can be uh, ideas about things in the world that I think are very interesting and important to explain. Feel like they fit within the huge, if true, optimistic future mm-hmm. uh, category of stories that I do, but don't deserve anything longer than 60 seconds. Like, if I can explain one simple little idea, one update, one you know, whatever in 60 seconds, that, again, to our point, that should be the length that it is. Mm-hmm. I would make a, an independent short and never make anything else about that topic. Right. Or right. I don't need to. Right. Um, another thing is, and these are all kind of like Venn diagrams blended, but um, Another category is Is this an idea that could become a longer form video? So, I made an episode, a, a short form video about um, the tracking technology in World Cup balls last mm. year. Okay. And uh, I was kind of interested in it. I hadn't covered much like sports automation uh, stories, sports tracking tech. And um, I wanted to sort of feel out how people would respond to a story like that. It it did incredibly well, Mm -hmm. and I was shocked to discover that one of the main debates within that, uh, the comment section of that video, was whether or not people want tracking tech at all to that degree in their sports.
0: Right. They want the human element versus the AI out-of-bounds call. Right. Right. And that,
2: to me, like, as a, a person who's really into technology, who... You know, like, I have a sort of sentiment about this. It did not occur to me that someone wouldn't want a tracker in their their soccer ball to understand if it, like, went off sides or went, like, like officially. right? Um, people really, hmm. some people really hated it. And I found that fascinating. Yeah. And I love that. I think that's totally right for a, a worthwhile discussion. I wanted to understand that better. Um, and so that's becoming a, a long-form video that's coming out later this month. I love that. Um, And then the other category is work related to an existing long form video that feels like it should be a sort of pull out 60 seconds or um, something that adds on to the story that I'm making. The way that I actually think about making this show is like imagine you're building a brick wall. Mm. And your job is to go out and like find the bricks and lay all the bricks together. And most, 99% of the work that I do is collecting all the bricks in the first place. Like I'm reading the books, I'm talking to the experts, I'm like doing these background interviews, I'm like cutting analogies. out the snippets. This is yeah, perfect. yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> yes. you would. Um, I'm like put, like all of those are like my bricks and I'm like sitting there with this big pile. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, the, the journalism, like some of the pieces naturally fit together. You like start to build a wall. And some of those little piles naturally become like, how do you put the bricks together to make a beautiful, thoughtful, satisfying, long form video? Mm-hmm. How do you put them together in like littler piles to make, um, you know, one video here and, one, and another there? And like what are the bricks that you would maybe you would like repurposing bits of the original right. stack into the others?
0: Or you might have too many of a certain type of brick. So you put some of them into the wall, but you have some some leftover that you can make a little castle out of later. That could be a short form thing. Exactly. I and see. for
2: me, the important thing is. I know that some people do this successfully and I do think that you can cut down videos in ways where you like change a little bit and then like podcasts I think can be cut down pretty well into little snippets that become good shorts. For sure, But my videos, like my long form videos are like, they're like writing a rubik's cube I like, like it, just, it doesn't you can't just it, I was going to uh. say there's
0: like it's like knitting a sweater where like if you just totally. took a chunk out of it there's so many, you're missing threads <laughs> from other parts of it like the sleeve is connected and you would you'd be missing too much of it.
2: Cutting little snippets doesn't work and I think more people are in that category than they realize. Yeah. I think more people try and the way that I think about this is more people are repurposing the content capital C the the like asset that they created as opposed right. to the content the, the like the, the work bricks. inside the work mm-hmm. the bricks so that's what I try and think about when I'm in that third category of shorts when I'm trying to figure out how to make short form videos based on a topic that I'm already covering in long form. It's not about cutting down the long form. It's about like what what within these what are the bricks that merit short form videos.
0: Super good analogy. I love that one. And also I've done the same thing where like I've made a short and had enough feedback that I go, "Yeah, there's many more bricks here to build a wall and we can make a, a full." That's what we're doing with the tablet right now. And that's happened and that's going to continue to happen. But I also wonder about the other way around where I don't want to cut out like a section of my video because that feels like I'm missing. You know how like you'll see a wall where like the bricks overlap so you can't like cut a neat rectangle out. You kind of you're like, well, (laughs) you're missing some of these. Yeah, like that's that happens a lot. So I feel like I need to create a new piece specifically for the format that has a lot of the things from the main.
2: Yeah. And I think about that a lot in the actual delivery of the content as well I deliberately in my short form videos record on my phone as though I'm FaceTiming someone and like they're weirdly all from the same angle because I just hold my phone in my right hand and I'm like talking to the like phone as though it's my my friend and and for me I I that feels better as a short form video compared to like the 4k static shot that I use for hosting my long-form YouTube videos
0: yeah that is fascinating the, the production quality thing also we could I I was going to ask like you're making videos you would want to watch and you're you're creating the show that you wished existed um, for the shorts it's almost not to me this is to me it doesn't feel like a show as much as it just feels like I was scrolling and I got this nice like piece of content and it was it was just a nice little burst of information for me how do you think about like what stuff like when you're creating a new idea for a short are you thinking I'm just amazed that you make these in under 60 seconds. Like, how do you condense all of the relevant information to be in the short versus something that you you collect and it turns out is relevant but doesn't fit in the 60 seconds? Like, I don't, I don't know how you made the entire soccer ball video under 60 seconds.
2: Mostly, it's in the idea choice. Okay. It it. You know, for example, the soccer ball was about the ball specifically, right. as opposed to the longer video that I'm making right now is about, like, the way that Hawkeye was invented in tennis and then bled into all kinds of other automation. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, here's soccer and here's what we're doing it, in which basketball. Which is, like, so tempting
0: to put in the short, totally. too. Yeah.
2: It's mostly just the one idea. It's like, if I, if I called you and I had 60 seconds to tell you something, I wouldn't, like, start with, like, well, you know, <laughs> in the early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> I can't wait for that video. The sports one. Yeah. That's gonna be it's sick. coming out soon. I'm gonna try
2: and put it out um, right when the US Open starts.
0: Ooh, nice. Because
2: it's so much of it came from tennis.
0: Also football, right? Football
2: There's some there. in football. I don't cover football as much or soccer. Yeah, I was gonna mm-hmm. say which
0: football? one oh, you Football. <laughs> I don't I don't follow any sports, but <laughs> whenever I see a clip of football and I just see like the the crazy tracking and the like yeah. they do it under the players, oh, even yeah. though there are people on the and I just I'm like, when did this get so advanced? When I watched this as a kid, they didn't have any of this stuff. Like <laughs> there's a lot of stuff like it's that. Crazy, like they try, it's and they crazy. try to go a little too far sometimes. Like in basketball, they had like the three-point line light up for like half a oh, season. Yeah, it lit I remember up, that. And it was like, can you stop? That, <laughs> yeah. That's a little too much.
2: I'm very into the automated ref call tech specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Like not just making the the viewer experience better, but actually changing the calls mm-hmm. of the game. Yeah. That feels to me like the most Controversial area. And I I do really like to your question about like controversial topics earlier. Yeah. I do really like to deliberately choose the controversial topic and then imagine like if it's controversial, it's because people disagree about what the potential generally the potential outcome of something could be. Like some people are worried about it and some people are excited about it. So it's like, okay, what do the people who are excited have in mind? What are the reasonable concerns from the people who are worried? Like that's probably a good, huge, if true Mm. episode, actually. And sports fans. (laughs) Oh, Disag- yeah. <laughs> yeah. disagree disagree. Yep. Disagree about. <laughs> I just there? got into soccer like last season, and
0: I remember when my friend was explaining to me the whole VAR thing, and I was like, "Oh, that's a great idea," and he's like, "No, it f- sucks."
1: <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about?" Because yeah, in my head, I'm like, "I'm
0: like, why wouldn't you have cameras yeah. from every angle where you can literally." No, for sure. Yeah, but then I'm sure there's a lot of sp- sports fans that are like, it's taken away from yeah, the game. Like the right every sport aspects. has a every sport has a different uh, amount of uh, computer intervention to get the call right. Yeah. Like like t- the tennis one is obviously the I think that's the most black and white one. Oh, the ref made a call. I don't think it's right. Let's go to the AI who's going to tell us the real answer. The,
2: uh, in the U.S. Open, I believe. It's the automated system that makes the call first now.
0: Okay, so you wouldn't even get the replay anymore.
2: uh, It doesn't have to be. So some sports use a challenge system, which is what you just described. And some sports use the automated call first, which is very controversial. Right. Um, But I, I struggle with this because on the one hand, and this is like the place I try and get to with every episode. So I feel like this is a good example. But it's like, on the one hand, I really believe that we have asked athletes to spend their entire lives perfecting their ability to To play this sport by these rules. Mm -hmm. And it's up to it's it's our our responsibility to then enforce those rules precisely and accurately so that those people who have worked so freaking hard to do that are judged fairly. I don't think I could possibly look at an athlete that I admire and say, like, no, we know I know we set up these rules and I know that we have a tool that would judge you more fairly, but we're not gonna use it. Because the uncertainty is enjoyable for me. Okay. Like, Do people like, just love screaming like, about No, the no, this is real. <laughs> like, and, and so, so that's yeah. that's one thing. Yeah. People love fighting. <laughs> How, however, I once I dug into this, that was like my initial instinct. I was like, people just love getting mad. That's part of the sport. I get it. Like, I love getting mad at the TV, like for sure. Um, but when you really get into it, it's actually less that than people um, naturally object to the precise enforcement of the rules, which I kind of agree with. So, for example, oh. like, there's this famous uh, case that I use in the video where this guy, he's he's offsides. This is a, a they, there's a lot of automated tech to detect offsides in soccer. And he's offsides by, like, you can see it in the replay. It's, like, the tiniest, tiniest little amount. And he was, cle- like, the player clearly believed that he was on sides. And any reasonable ref, I mean, I think, would have would have said, like, that player is, like, basically in line with the final defender. Like, this mm-hmm. is on sides, But in a very, very precise system, you don't have that level of, like, natural buffer because yeah. you are enforcing the rules even more precisely and accurately. <laughs> and you could – that like and then that's so interesting to me because you could play out the use of that technology in line with people's values. You just have to decide that those actually are your real values. Like, you could say, we want to build in a buffer into this system. Mm. you could do that technologically. Right. That's fine. Yeah. You just have to admit that you want it first, right. yeah. which is a very interesting thing. And I think yeah. that's what people are actually fighting about. It's like, what, do, what rules do we actually care about? And how do we want them enforced? And that's a much, much more like rich conversation to me that technology revealed. Who won yeah.
0: that case?
2: Uh, the, the toe was offsides. And they're like, I forget what it was. Um, I remember it was like Leverkusen versus Club Brugge. I think, I forget who won, but like the, the, the uh, automated tech the automated calls, made a right? big difference. That's wild.
0: Yeah, it just, it, I, so I was thinking about basketball and like there are different eras of the game based on how it was refereed. And the refereeing would dictate the play style so there is now there's like the the 20-year era of like the 80s and 90s which were more physical and the rules were also slightly different but they were enforced in a way that would allow certain levels of contact where now referees would call that same contact differently despite the same rules so the refereeing changes the game the way the league wants it to move changes the game all these things it feels like once we take that out of referees maybe sports fans object to the the human element being taken out of it so that that I I can simplify I can simplify with that. I can I can sympathize, sympathize yeah. with that. But it is fascinating that you object to the precise cause of everything. it's, it's really cool. Also there's like golf where it's like rules are really nebulous sometimes like the ball is buried in the face of a bunker but there's some grass underneath it so is it technically man-made because the bunker has a layer of like styrofoam holding the lip up or is it because of the grass that's touching the ball that it's not man-made so you get relief backwards and it's like it's just some guy's just gonna tell you what he thinks of the rules and like you can kind of go by that
2: you hit at the masters right did i see that um i
0: went to yeah the open at um royal liverpool yeah uh, cool it was, That's awesome. it was incredible. Yeah. But watch the video when it comes out. Yeah. That's the thing that matters. Yeah. I don't know. Shorts are hard for me. Cause I, I kind of write like you, which is, I imagine you have a whole bunch of backstory and context. to help you better understand something. And by the time I crunch it all down into a short, oops, it's three minutes long. I can't really make a short out of this. Uh, and it's a challenge to try to cut it down, um, for tech.
2: I think about them like little experiments. Like I'm just like, shooting a text off to a friend, here's here's an update kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and also I have uh, an associate producer who's helping me. Do you have like a
0: criteria for what uh, what type of video you'll make versus what now you decide not to make a video about?
2: Um, I mean, I think the way that people generally, like the the sort of jargon speak version of this would be you think about your brand. I think about the way that I want people to the way that I want to show up in people's lives, I, I want every time they see something from me for them to understand that they're going to get a, a little taste of something really interesting, a little taste of the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want them to have a specific feeling, which is we can make the future better. And if I'm not really going to be able to do that, then I, I, maybe if it's super important, but it would be an exception.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the other question I have, since you were, we are talking about a video you're working on that's later in the month, and I'm, I'm jealous. Every time I ask a creator this question and I get an answer, I, I hate that I can't relate. But how far out do you know your content calendar goes? Like, how far out do you know what you're going to be making already?
2: I know for sure the next three videos, and I only do one long-form video a month right now. So I you know three to, months. So I know three months for sure. Like in production, in research, like planning those shoots. And then I have maybe like six ish other episodes that feel really good, feel like I, I never want to, to get to the end of something and only have like one episode out. Because mm-hmm. the the research process and the especially if there's a field shoot, that the the scheduling process takes so long that if I'm not starting a couple months out, then I'm I'm probably going to be delaying a video, which I wouldn't want to do. Right. So I have ideas that are good pitches that have been greenlit. Maybe, maybe at least six months past that. So the the longest version that I could pretend to say is like nine months. That's not really true. It's right. really three months. But you have three, and that then I have you're... ideas that could exist beyond that.
0: Yeah, but so I I love that because you can you can kind of decide like. When these will come out based on possible either events that they're going to line up with or something like that. I don't really have that other than like we know certain products get announced every year. So we know what we're going to be doing roughly at that time of year. Like, oh, it's about to be September and October. What happens every September and October? Uh, We get a new iPhone and a new Pixel phone. So we know that that's happening. But if you ask me what we're doing in three months, I have literally no idea what we're doing in three months. Yeah. But
2: the thing that you've done is that you've set up relationships with companies that want you to review their products upon launch. And sometimes those launches are themselves like massive holidays, basically like the Apple Vision Pro. How did that video come to exist? Because that that was like immediate when they released and you'd clearly like tried it, set it up, planned it to be released right then.
0: So something that happens with those types of events is these companies are very secretive. So we don't typically actually know exactly what's happening until it's being revealed. Or if you're fortunate enough, you'll get briefed on it a day or two or a week beforehand and so you have an idea of what they're about to say on stage and then they'll say it. Uh, Apple notoriously does not pre-brief anyone. So when they announced the Vision Pro on stage, that was the first time that day that anyone outside of Apple was actually getting that real information. Um, And then we got to go down to this Sweet building that they built on their campus and like try it and get it fit for us. And there was like a 30 minute product demo. And basically, I don't know, probably a hundred people got that demo. And it was all of our jobs in that moment to decide what is our content strategy around this 30 minute off camera demo that we just received. And for me, the idea was, I'm gonna go back to this hotel room, set up my camera on a tripod and just talk about what I just experienced. And the idea was like, okay, you're not going to be able to buy this thing yet, but let me just tell you what I experienced and what I think of it because this will give you a good idea of if you might be interested in it or not. Other people had different ideas. They were kind of trying to compare it to other things. Other people kind of did the same thing, just described the experience, but it was basically that. It was go back to the hotel room, talk about it, chop it up, and upload it on hotel Wi-Fi and cross your fingers. Wow. So that's how that one comes together. I think there's a lot of other versions of that where like, a device gets announced on the spot, and everyone actually, I'm giving myself too much credit. I, I think I, on the spot, decide my content strategy, but I think a lot of people go into it already knowing we're making this video, this video, and this short. And when we show up, we're going to make these things. And I like to leave a little bit of room for, eh, this wasn't worth a video. Eh, this wasn't, this update wasn't really big enough to warrant a whole video. Maybe it's just a short, but I kind of try to be flexible.
2: I would love to develop that kind of like, even just being one of those hundred people to get access to actually try it, mm-hmm. like, and film... I mean, you got to film trying it, right? Like No, you, were, no, no. you didn't. You, you tried it things. and you described their experience.
0: Sometimes you do. This is one of those weird top secret things. Can't even point a camera at it. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, I think... And also getting sent stuff to try beforehand. Like, I think for me... um, if I wanted to explain something complex that a company is working on, I would love to know about it before they tell other people. And yeah. as long as they're okay journalistically with me like not showing them the video beforehand, if they are basically saying, like we know the premise of your show, and we know that you're gonna explore this rigorously, but optimistically, like yeah. c- contextualize our tech within the future of what this category could be, I would love to be able to do that. Like That for me would be, much better than trying to like time our video on quantum computing happened to come out when a lot of people were talking about quantum computing. Mm-hmm. That was an accident. I had no idea that was going to happen. That was on
0: purpose. It was totally that was on purpose. On purpose.
2: <laughs> that was pur- I knew that there was going to be a massive <laughs> development in quantum computing.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's funny because I think you could do a lot of these types of videos. And uh, we were talking about like we're working on a video today that will come out tonight. And like our timeline, mm-hmm. we've we've sort I'm of so optimized jealous. in a way where we that's kind of like the the standard is like, Uh, If you asked me to review, if you handed me a brand new phone that I'd never seen before right now at this table, within a week, I could upload the review of the phone. It would be like three or four days of like really using it and poking around and taking notes and all that stuff. And then by the time I get to like day three, day four, day five, I'm like, I think I know this thing pretty well and I can form opinions based on what I know about the smartphone landscape. And that's a day of production and a day of editing and then it's up and I just don't have any other like the longest timeline of an edit we'll work on is like two weeks, which is an incredibly long time for me because I feel like the need to get the video out for the entire two weeks and then it's finally out, I'm like, yeah, there it is. But yeah, that's a, that's a big difference. That, but I, I do think you could do like a sort of a look into technologies that have a lot of potential. It's just so many of them are so short term that they wouldn't, yeah, maybe feel like they're they're in line with the huge if true thing, but they they are there are a lot of them out there that I think would would do it.
2: Big swings. Yeah.
0: Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte. Team up. Fight on. Well, so you also, in moving from working with Vox to going independent, have had to sort of build a team around a lot of the things that you do. And we are talking about this because I we have a team here at the studio and every piece of what everyone does is something that at some point I was doing. What is the pie chart for how you spend your time as a creator look like? And what are the what are the pieces of the pie? What is it made of?
2: This is something that I am thinking about a lot and kind of like building the plane as it flies mm. is the vibe right I now. I can relate. Okay. Um, so to rewind a little bit, when I was at Vox, um, Vox is amazing internally because it basically is set up to be, or at least it was at the time, um, dozens of independent creators within Vox. And then there's support in terms of story editing and, for me, animation um, and, you know, a lot of infrastructure. But people generally are are making their own videos, much in the same way that people do when they have full okay. channels. Um, so mm-hmm. this is like Johnny Harris was doing this, like Sam Ellis, who recently started a, a channel uh, with Johnny and is um, me, like the the team at Vox now. Um, and so that was enormously helpful because in order to become Uh, I don't know know how much backstory you want, but in order to become a video journalist at Vox, I was actually already working at Vox on the business development side. Um, Uh And I went to night classes at the School of Visual Arts uh, in New York, which I highly recommend to learn how to edit and animate so that I could make videos for Vox, like nights and weekends, like just trying to get better at this skill. Um, Eventually started making videos for their YouTube channel, but that that requirement, basically, that I be able to do everything in order to do the video production um, in the first place, but has become really important now because I know what I'm looking for and I know how to do it. Yeah. Asterisk, not nearly as well as the people on my team now know how to well, do
0: it. Well that helps, because you at least can give direction based on what you know is possible and what you've tried to visualize, things yeah. like that.
2: Like, the editor that I work with right now is way better and way faster than I ever could be. <laughs> That's awesome. The animator that I work with is Way more talented, and it just has a sense of style, and is also just technically proficient in a way that, like, it would take me so long to get anywhere close. Mm-hmm. But that's the great privilege that I have of being independent—like to be able to go out and hire those people and make them a part of the team and make this show together because—and and have them add something that I never could add. Mm-hmm. Um, it it makes the show so much better than I ever imagined it could be, and that it that it was than it was, um, you know, right when I was starting out. Um, I did work with an animator and an editor, um, different animators and editors, from kind of the get-go. I've never been a great animator, like I'm, I'm proficient but not excellent in animation. Um, I took, and so I had I took one
0: class in motion graphics yeah. in college, and I I can barely move things around the screen in After Effects. So yeah. I'm impressed. It's
2: it's um, it's not it's not gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> it's functional. It's functional. Yeah. And um, but. Learning what the style of the show was um, and who could do it has been informed by the fact that, like, I was for a long time, I was. I was doing all parts of all, this myself, yeah. including the actual journalism itself. The the third member of my team is an associate producer who works on mostly the research side and helping write shorts and like making the videos um, much more rigorous uh, than they could be if I was just one person. Like having that additional person. She also um, Nicole, you met her. Yeah. Um, she oh, uh, quantum was,
0: physics background. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and so she has a technical proficiency on the research side that I don't have. Um, that combination of all of these people that are so much better at their thing than I am helps make obviously the work better but also um the fact that I can do some amount of what they can do is a big deal so to answer your question about how I actually spend my time now um I would say it's mostly uh research writing um prepping for interviews the sort of traditional production side that I've always done the like journalism itself is still mm-hmm. most of it. Um I also run the business myself. I like do most of my negotiations. Like the
0: bookkeeping too, all the I have an accountant. Yeah but, yeah, yeah.
2: but like I it has felt very important to me to like have my hands firmly on the wheel, at sure. least in the first couple of years and not outsource a lot of those things. Like a lot of managers reach out to you and they like wanna run your business and like
0: give me the, the reins, I see. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um and I probably spend more time than I will be able to long term doing that. Um, but that's that's how I would say I spend like twenty percent of my time doing the business stuff, eighty percent of my time doing production. Um and that production part includes reading the books, writing the scripts, um. And then like giving notes uh, and then traveling to various shoots and things. I'm trying to reduce the number of field shoots that I do because it just means that you're constantly waiting on other people's permission to actually make the thing. And it's important mm. to have things that you can already create while, like so that you're not stressed. Um, but that's that's a big chunk of it, too, is like traveling to different shoots, actually yeah. doing that production.
0: I feel like the natural like I have probably told you about my octopus analogy with like a, a creator. So it feels like you've already, like you've cut off some of the arms of like the, the super talented editing and animation and things like that. Are okay. there things that you're also eventually going to, like what is ideally, what does the pie look like in three or four years when you're, you're in the dream workflow and you've, you've optimized your everything?
2: I think the general principle is that focus is your friend that the, the biggest mistake that I could make right now is getting too spread, launching too many things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have not, it's been a year and a half, we've hit a million, I don't have any merch, I don't have any like Patreon, I don't do anything except create this channel. That might be a mistake, but that fo- level of focus has really helped me. I think
0: that's what I was, um,
2: yeah. And, and so I think increasing, not decreasing that is the task ahead. So I am trying to figure out ways to um, you know, reduce the amount of time that I spend like miscellaneous time traveling, or you know uh, honestly, like i don't I don't say yes to that many events because that's just not like uh, being the the public figure is helpful on the show. Mm-hmm. going around to a lot of events is like not actually part of my job the okay. way that I see it. um I do think that I probably could. Like if I'm imagining the octopus and thinking about the arms that I could cut off, uh, some amount of business support I do think would be worthwhile. I have an agent who does uh, uh, agents who do um, a lot of sourcing and helping negotiate. Um, but I also think that I could probably use some more support in in running the business of huge. That seems like a longer term thing to cut off. Like again, yeah. I'm really excited about fully understanding all of the mechanisms and all of the business and all of the finances of this uh, running a production company is what we're
0: doing. Yeah I feel like the the question that you'll start to get is like you still do that and that's when you know like okay I think I've learned all the ins and outs of this and it can probably. But you still
2: you said you edit 75 percent of your work. How did you make that decision?
0: Well I mean I was editing 100 percent so it's like oh well we'll find someone who's incredibly talented at editing and, and slowly give them sort of reign to like, not just, not just emulate, but improve a lot of the, the videos that we're doing, but based on editing, but yeah, like literally everything that we do here at the studio was at some point, something I was doing. This is the year 13 or whatever it is of, of making videos. And the first seven or eight of those years was just the videos. And at this point I'll go to like a YouTube creator summit and someone would be like, oh yeah, I'll put my, you know chief of merch and and touch with your chief of merch I'm like I don't ha- what is that? how do you guys have all these people doing all these things like this all these things I never even thought about so I feel like the focus part is actually I relate a lot to that it's like you you do want to make sure your your primary function is as clearly defined as possible and then as optimized as possible
2: It also we had this conversation a little bit in the car on the way to the quantum shoot mm-hmm. um And when you told me the number of people on your team, I it really changed a lot of the way that I think about the strategy of how I run my operation, because Mm -hmm. from the outside, like your audience is huge and you have multiple channels and you're like making so many different kinds of work. And to know basically basically what I remember you saying is like we have a small number of full-time people that are really excited about the things that they're working on. Yeah. And that, I think, is pretty different than the way that a lot of people grow, which is, you know, we need a person to do this, we're gonna, like, hi- like there's a lot of contracting, there's a lot of, like, part-time work, there's a lot of, like, sort of uh, growth to do new things.
0: Yes, yeah, That
2: results in, like, a, a wide, uh, many-person operation at a part-time level. Right. That makes, that that can work great, but it requires people to manage that, which is another body of work, which is either you or is more people. And for me personally, like what I was most excited about um, and what talking to you almost gave me like, like, oh, that works, like permission to do is to hire a very small number of people who are really excited about the show are really committed to huge, are better than me at their thing. And therefore like our conversations are management. Sometimes like, you know, we, you know, how much people get paid like uh, progression career progression but most of the time it is like they are pushing me and inspiring me and they are running their their part of the operation um and that has just felt creatively like we're we're building something together that feels really exciting i'm not spending when i when i talked about my time distribution i very little of it is in people management which is i think important to preserve
0: yeah i was i think uh one of the things i Generally, I think this is probably true about at any job where you're making stuff, but if you try to make more stuff, the quality typically has to go down. And if you try to make better stuff, the quantity typically has to go down. And so you know you're doing well when you're able to like cut off the arm, one or two of the arms, and those people's functions are growing way beyond what they would ever do if it was just you trying to do eight things at once. And then you're able to actually do more and better at the same time then you know you're hitting something like well and it's working. So
2: totally. I like
0: I think the the philosophy is there and the strategy is there. So I like I like all of it. I think it's going really well
2: I got this comment. That is the challenge is like how to improve either quantity or both at the same time. I got this comment recently that was like your videos are so highly produced. Why don't you make more of them? <laughs>
0: and I was like You, j- you answered the sir? question yourself. <laughs> You've literally answered your question. Yeah, I feel that a lot. So what's next for Cleo? What is the, is it, obviously you do want to make better. You do want to make more. You do want to give up the reins a little bit of some of the stuff, but do you picture more topics? Is it another channel or is it just, do you have a grail video that you want to make that you've been thinking about for a long time?
2: Let me come back to that because I would love to have an answer to say and just like see if there's someone in the world who can make a video possible. Guaranteed. Let me come back to that one. Yeah. Um, In terms of what's next, you know, if you'd asked me just two years ago when I was at Vox, I would have had an answer that basically sounded something like, well, I'm going to do this for a little while and then I'm going to, you know, that will give me the opportunity to go do this. And then it sort of was like tacking against the wind, Mm. um, which I think is very often the way that careers naturally progress. I think that's great. but now it's just this amazing feeling. I don't know, do you have this, like I, I just want to do this, I want to do this for years, and I want to make this so much better. Like I yeah. think the huge as a channel is just getting started, and the idea of this show, this this genuinely optimistic, journalistically rigorous show about tech, for me feels like it could, it just has so much room to grow. Mm-hmm. Like this is, we've hit, Uh, a million in uh, about a year and a half we hit a million like maybe two weeks ago we're at like 1.2 something now it just like feels like it's just it's it's, (laughs) (laughs) um it feels like it's just getting started and we're building this momentum and so again like I, I I don't have the second channel idea yet I don't have whatever you know I would love to figure out long term like what the sort of products are that I might want to get involved with. I love the 251s. I think that that's super inspiring for yeah. what someone can grow into. But for now, like, just this. I just want to do this. And that freedom within constraints is feels incredible creatively. Yeah.
0: I think what happens is you start making the thing you were always hoping to make. And your taste for what you're hoping to make is just a little bit, above what you're making and you sort of develop your skills like i also took college classes in editing but I didn't learn a ton from it so you get all this real world experience and you get better and better and you're able to try new things and then your skill catches up to your taste but your taste the entire time was also advancing because you saw what other people were doing and you got other ideas and you had future ideas so now your taste is ahead and that goal post keeps moving forward and keeps you improving over time and i think as long as you, you're you looking forward at your taste of what I think this can keep growing, and this can keep getting better, and I want to make a video that's kind of like this someday and I have ideas that I can execute on someday in the future. As soon as I get this figured out, I can do this. As long as you're moving forward like that, then I think everything's in the right place, which is how I've hoped to keep it for like the last 10 years and hopefully another 10.
2: That's my biggest question for you, actually, is like for someone who is not just pursuing success creatively on YouTube, but is also pursuing longevity. What yeah. advice would you give?
0: Um, the The thing we mentioned earlier about focus being key is is huge. And then I would also stress to not externally set any like criteria, especially when it's like a schedule or a format or anything like that. Because I, I do see that as a way to optimize. I think what a lot of people end up f- trying to do is like, oh, we want to optimize and like figure out what the algorithm's doing and like start making more stuff so we can feed into the recommendation system. And I think the second you start to get on that treadmill and the treadmill speed gets turned up, that like opens the door for like eventually burning out. And I think if, I've never had a schedule for anything other than this podcast for as long as I've been making content. And the, the podcast is like, we can just sit down and chat and it's out every week, so it's great. But I think keeping it flexible and finding little ways to not reinvent everything, but reinvent parts of the show and reinvent parts of what you're making over time, uh, that never gets old. Like that's fun, no matter what what part of the show you're tweaking. You'll get to like year five and you're like, you know what I should have tried differently and what we can totally revamp right now and you'll just think of something and you'll see something new and, and that taste keeps going forward. and I think that's That's the best advice I could give is to just keep the taste a little bit ahead of what you're doing. Yeah. I have one last question. Okay. How fast can you type the alphabet? Let's go. Are you ready for this? Let's go. We have a a typing test. Okay. (laughs) As you may have heard on the Waveform Podcast, every guest gets a choice of keyboard. (gasps) and you okay. just got to type a through z as as fast as you can what is
2: what is the fastest time anyone has ever had
0: that is a eight seconds okay. wait what no. no no ever 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 oh, oh, no. No, no no on, this on the podcast oh, on the podcast <laughs> oh, sorry do you want to know who or the number or both really yeah okay going right for the top
2: i mean I'm,
0: <laughs> what if i told you the average would that you just yeah, want to right
2: no, <laughs> i want to know all the data
0: okay our our first place is tom scott by a lot.
2: Oh my God! What?
0: Tom Scott was uh, almost a full second ahead of our second place at 3.555 seconds. Okay. Which is absurd. I no one should type the alphabet that fast. But I, I think our average is closer to about five and a half, six and a half seconds, which again sounds crazy. But when you type a through z, you'd be surprised sometimes. We have a MacBook keyboard here. We also have a USB keyboard over there. If you yeah. want to try that, or a mechanical yeah, a mechanic. keyboard, whichever one you want. Yeah. So we've got your keyboard set up here. You've elected to use I'm just going to show the so show the audience. Cleo's going with the the MacBook Pro keyboard, but also the Magic. the desktop one. Magic. So it's external. Magic keyboard. There you go. Uh we give everyone 3 tries and you asked for the course record right off the bat. So I'm just going to announce that Tom Scott got it in 3.55 seconds, which is insane. But uh, lots of people all over the leaderboard. Okay. 3 full tries. Whenever you're ready. I'm pointing my mic at your keyboard. You get to Z? Alright. Wow. I can do better. Okay. Well is it? First try. First try was first try was 5.3 seconds. What? Better than 5. me. 3? I can do better. Okay. Ugh. Two more tries. Two more reps. Ready? Set. Go. Wow. Jesus, that's him fast. All right. Well, We're up number two. 4.2 seconds. <laughs> Guaranteed a spot on the leaderboard. I am off the what? leaderboard already, already. second place. Finally, Marquez is off the leaderboard. I can, I can, leaderboard. Be better. I can do better. Already kicked got me off the leaderboard. Chance. If you want to do better, you've got one I I more round. I rep.
2: have one more chance to beat Scott. Coming yep. for Tom Scott. Or Tom. Yep. OK. <laughs> <laughs> a little
0: more caffeine. Here we go.
2: <laughs> I'm like shaking. OK. I Listen,
0: I, I got like a 20th place.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's more fun to take stuff seriously. So, I mean, you know, like, I agree.
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. <sighs> okay. it's like people get mad at me about trivia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, ready? Hit the Z. There it is. Four, so I think the second time was the fastest, right? It Which was, was like four point two. We'll get the official it has, number.
2: It has my top.
0: Oh, okay, left. there you go. Four point two six six is the best time. Yeah, second place. Second place on the leaderboard. Kicks me off. I no longer have a podium thank position. God. I wouldn't <laughs> want anyone else to kick me off the podium. Cleo, thank you for thank joining you. us. This was really fun. That
2: was super fun.
0: If you guys oh, haven't man. already subscribed to Huge If True on YouTube do it i don't know how you got this far in the episode and didn't do that already but it's all it's on youtube you can search cleo's name or huge if true and uh we'll leave the link to the quantum computing video that we did in the show notes because i think that's a pretty good place to start
2: it's nominated for a streaming
0: it's nominated for a streaming and we'll find out shortly after this goes live if it won or not so that's good. That's pretty cool. There, yeah. That's pretty cool.
2: We're competing against Mr. Beast collaborating with The Rock. So <laughs> that <is bad. laughs>
0: Which, Easy hey, we got nominated. So that's pretty <laughs> yeah. sick, right? That's pretty cool. Uh, thanks for watching and catch you guys next week. See you later.